Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. 770 CHQR. I'm Zach sitting in for Rob Breckenridge. Joining me now is Andy Hathaway. He's associate professor, associate professor who teaches sociology and crime and criminal justice at the University of Guelph. How you doing, Andy? Hello. How are you today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Some of the questions, Andy, that have come up about marijuana is um, what's the point? Because there seems to be an awful lot of research that's saying different things like... Um, Buying weed from your guy is uh, hasn't changed. Pot shops not being allowed to open around our neck of the woods and stuff like that with supply issues. So as you look at all this, Andy, would, can you help me understand what was the point of all that? Well, I mean, I don't think anybody should uh, be, be put through um, the justice system for smoking weed uh, shouldn't be criminalized as a result. So I think there's a strong social justice um, element behind it. Um, but certainly I, I do question some of the, uh, the official objectives behind the, uh, the, the impl- implementation of the new policy of legalization, uh, given that it, um, it uh, aims to officially um, prevent youth, youth from using and, uh, and keep organized crime out of the business. From what I'm hearing and, and from what you're suggesting, um, it's, uh, it's not quite meeting those, uh, those objectives particularly well, and, and it does kind of raise questions about why it was legalized to begin with. So I think it is worth teasing through some of those, uh, those nuances, so to speak. Um, if, if there isn't uh, adequate supply and, and if for any reason um, the consumer is, uh, is content to keep with illicit sources, either on the basis of better price or better quality or more convenience or simply loyalty to the dealer, then that, uh, that kind of um, gets in the way of the objective of keeping, keeping organized crime out of the business. And um, given that uh, officially uh, young people under the age of uh, 18 or 19, depending on what province you're in, um, are not legal consumers uh, because they're underage, just as in the case with alcohol, um, they will presumably have no choice but to to, uh, continue on with illicit sources of supply. And uh, the only difference being that the channels may change to the extent that uh, some of it may be being channeled directly from uh, the licit sources of supply through the licensed retailers. Um, so uh, on both counts, uh, it doesn't really add up, in, in my view. Um, and, and that's, I, I guess, uh, worth, worth uh, conversing about to some degree and, and, and seeing how it adds up in terms of experiences in the different jurisdictions of which there's a wide variety of models in place right now. Andy Hathaway has a fantastic article looking at all this, uh, which is on theconversation.com. Now, the um, 
all of this, you say that, you know, organized crime and, and all that. Are we just forgiving the fact that, you know, organized crime really, when it comes to either importing or at least distributing domestic-based marijuana, I mean, there is a pretty heavy hand there in that stuff or um, just the fact that when it comes to the ties between I know a guy and organized crime are often not there? Like, how do you, how do you look at that? Uh, well, I, I mean, I suppose that depending on how high up the supply chain you go, you get people dealing in larger and larger amounts with more and more incentive to uh, to keep their activities um, uh, out of the eye of authorities and, and potentially more uh, more ruthless, uh, involvement of, of ruthless players. But uh, for the most part, uh, it's a rather casual networks of supply among um, folks who are uh, certainly not criminals by by any other stretch of the imagination and uh, are simply f- finding a pragmatic way in, in which to access the product. And that usually means uh, networks of users of which somebody buys a few ounces and uh, divvies it up among friends, uh, either for a small profit or to uh, allow themselves to smoke for free or, or, or simply out of um, the goodness of their hearts, so to speak, uh, that that tends to be the um, the supply pattern um, to a large extent. So if you're arguing that it uh, protects people from having to deal with a, a shady dealer, that's not the experience of buying cannabis for the vast majority of users. So that that does that doesn't quite add up in terms of, of that particular um, rationale for for legalizing cannabis. When you spoke about access to the product and you say social networks are such a big thing, it kind of makes sense. But that also brings into that that piece about younger users for the most part as well. I mean, if you look at, a say, a 50-year-old user, they probably just know a guy, get together, have a coffee, catch up, and say, how's the kids, and off they go. Uh, younger users are, are connecting differently. Is this, uh, you know, maybe it's too speculative, but is this uh, just a, a reach to, to younger voters? Is this a political play only? Uh, I'm, I'm happy to speculate, and, and cynically, I, I have thought for some time uh, that, uh, yeah, I think I think it's reasonable t- to suggest that at some point um, a political party would recognize there's more votes to be gained than lost by uh, moving forward on a more progressive policy for cannabis. Um, so I suspect that's uh, part of the motivation. Um, we'll, we'll see if it uh, pays off in, in practice. I mean, maybe one could argue that uh, liberals have, uh, have already kind of got the, the pot-smoking market uh, cornered, um, you know, a more left liberal kind of points of view. Uh, if you can argue that that's still part of the uh, the cultural um, mindset of, of, of cannabis smokers, I think it's a much more of a mainstream phenomenon crossing all kinds of political um, parties and divides now. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's reasonable to speculate that uh, part of the motivation uh, would be a political one, which is one that uh, tends to be top of mind for many political parties seeking re-election, right? Well, yeah, for sure. It seems to make sense to me that, um, you know, I mean, the tax, there's been a lot of conversations about the supply problem. And if there was a supply problem, you create a price uh, benefit. Uh, or at the same time, if if it was all about taxes, securing supply and getting the shops open would have been the best way to go. I mean, you would have invested in, okay, well, if we're going to make money off this, 
then we got to make sure that the stream is there in order to pull it off. I mean, that to me seems like uh, economics 101 for the government, and they don't seem to have done that. Yeah, I mean, I guess we can expect some growing pains. I mean, to be fair, we can draw on models of uh, other jurisdictions, such as Washington State, for example, where it has been noted that over the last six years since they legalized, um, the, the prices have gone down. Uh, the retail markup has, uh, has diminished, making it uh, more competitive with black market suppliers. But one of the observations I've heard from a colleague down there who spends time hanging around in the dispensaries is uh, the absence of young people. And, uh, you know, these tend to be people in their 40s and 50s. And, uh, you know, so so the explanation that it's simply um, uh, the, the age limit is, is not being met there. There does seem to be a, an indication that... Uh, Younger people, whether they're technically of age to purchase legally or not, seem to be staying away and presumably are, are sticking with their their um, underground suppliers. So th- th- there, there does it does raise questions about um, some of the characteristics of uh, the cannabis culture and, and and other aspects that are met by participating within a group of, of fellow users and. Uh, and dealing with it that way, and there are those who, uh, you know, it's always kind of represented something of a uh, rebellious or, you know, outlaw activity, uh, quite quite uh, understandably, considering it has typically always been just that. Um, but uh, I think there is a bit of a sub- subculture in there that involves loyalty and uh, and maybe some sp- suspicion of government. And when you're talking about putting your your name and credit card on a on a website, for example, or uh, or walking into a government outlet and having ID taken there, um, maybe that uh, that doesn't have the allure for for all who the the, the assumption being that uh, you know a, a quality controlled product through a legitimate source is going to be um, inevitable inevitably more attractive and and I guess we'll see if in practice that uh, that holds to be true. Well, if anybody would ever forget to stop at the pot store on the way to a party, it would be a 20-year-old pot smoker. I, <laughs> right? So, Reasonable observations. Zach. Yeah, sounds yeah. like uh, sounds like a great accessibility opportunity for someone else. Thanks so much Andy Hathaway, associate professor of sociology, University of Guelph. Great article. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks, my pleasure. Have a good one. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.